As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And also El Nino. And sometimes known as El Nino, Matthew Joseph King. Coming straight from Western Massachusetts, and we are sitting here on the visitors' coaches podium in the depths of the TD Garden after the Celtics defeat the Toronto Raptors ninety-seven to ninety-three and officially clinch the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. This is the second night of a back-to-back, coming off a loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. A very close game in which Joel Embiid was absolutely insane. We'll dive into that after, but we'll we'll just focus on this game here. I think the story tonight is just the luxury that is Malcolm Brogdon. There was no Jason Tatum, no Marcus Smart, no Al Horford. And so uh, a starting lineup of Mike Muscala and uh, Sam Hauser, Robert Williams was back, uh, Jalen Brown was there, Derek White. But Malcolm Brogdon continues to come off the bench and just play pretty efficient offense. And he dropped 29 points tonight and really – I thought just was like in control of the game uh, most of the time when he was in there. Yeah, and it, like you said, it's a huge deal to have him because they're down Tatum, they're down Smart, they're down Horford, and Horford's one of their better passers too. So they're down probably their three best passers, if not their three best, three of the very best. And last year, like I don't think the offense could have survived that. And this year they have Brogdon. Derek White has been awesome when stepping up and giving more responsibilities. Uh, and I thought he was really good for the most part tonight. He didn't shoot the ball well, like many of the Celtics. But to have those two guys, as basically White has started a lot, um, but that that's basically their second unit backcourt. And just to have that depth is is really important and and it gives you a chance to have enough offense on a night you have that many guys missing because you're bringing a former first option who's still in his prime and could still be a first or second option somewhere um and when he when Malcolm plays more minutes when he has more opportunities like he stays efficient with it uh, he had a horrible turnover in the, fi- <laughs> in the final second. Really, really bad. Really bad he had, turnover. He was doing a lot of, uh, as good as he was, a lot of shenanigans tonight, I would say, after driving into the paint and not necessarily getting to the rim. Um, and it did result in a horrible turnover that made this game a lot closer than it should have been. But him driving into the paint, I think uh, old friend Tom Westerholm just wrote a story about how he averages something like 11 or 12 drives a game and just in terms of like the Celtics offense and them creating good looks, especially when the like either Tatum's not in the game or it's just like a second unit, the ability to get into the paint and just um, 
create opportunities from there, whether it's Brogdon scoring himself or driving and kicking. I think it's just a huge part of why this team, um, I don't know, I, I guess I was about to say why you feel better about this team heading into the playoffs than you do last year. I don't know if I actually do because heading into the playoffs last year, they were so dominant. But certainly the, this team's offense. So you don't feel better about them than you did this. You You must because now you've seen them go to the finals. You've seen it actually. Last year they the finished. They won the last twenty games of the season. We're blowing teams up by twenty. But you hadn't seen it in the playoffs before. That is correct. Now and you've seen it in. I, them I going wasn't to the sure, Jay. I was trying to explore what kind of the issue. If we're focusing specifically on the offense, I feel worlds better about the Celtics' offense heading into this playoffs than I did about last playoffs. And I think Malcolm Brogdon is one of those reasons. Is because clearly all uh, the, the starters I think have gotten better and have got a lot of experience from that playoffs, but they're are guys like White and Brogdon who can come in and just create offense and where it felt like if Jason Tatum didn't have a good game or the Celtics, one of the Celtics role players didn't hit a number of threes last year, they were absolutely screwed. And it feels like in a night like tonight where the Celtics only shot 29% from three, 42% from the field, not a great scoring night, there were still uh, ways in which they could create offense. And I just think that is, is a good sign for the Celtics. Um, and they're a much more balanced team this year heading into the playoffs than they were last year where they won solely on defense. Yeah. Although I, I would say, like, their offense last year was very capable. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't consistent always from quarter to quarter. It wasn't consistent from game to game. But they had a number of games throughout that playoff run where they were awesome offensively. Um, but I do feel like they're more consistent now. And part of the reason they are is because Brogdon has, has taken them to another level and, and you've seen him the last couple of weeks, maybe the last five or six games feels like he's really taken his game to another level. I thought the Milwaukee game, he was awesome. The Philadelphia game, he made it really tough on some of the Sixers guards to stay in front of him. And you can just see him kind of picking it up as as the postseason comes. Um, the other part, of, one one other part of this game that was important, Robert Williams, 31 minutes, by far the most he's played since coming back from a hamstring. Uh, he told Abby Chin that they want to kind of ramp up his minutes for the playoffs. And he's probably the only guy they need to really do that with because uh, he just needs to get in that type of shape to be able to play a, a ton of minutes if he needs to in the postseason. Obviously, um, you want to limit the wear and tear on his body, but at some point, too, he's got to be be ready to play those huge minutes um, when they're going to need him in the playoffs. Yeah, and he wasn't like anything spectacular tonight. Um, seven points, eight boards. He's just... You just grab some rebounds that are just like only Robert Williams could grab that right now. He's just such bounce and such long arms. It's impressive. And he's just so active. Uh, I feel like he had uh, at least five or six times tonight where he was falling out of bounds and made a pass to the corner. Am I am I going crazy here? I feel like that was the Robert Williams theme of the night was just him kind of uh, saving balls or, or falling out of bounds. Yeah, I guess that is that is correct. That's my big takeaway from Rob Williams playing 31 minutes tonight. What a what a takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible takeaway there. Uh, I got to say, this game, not the most exciting. No, but I, I think from the Celtics, for the Celtics, like these last couple weeks, basically after they had that huge fuck up in, uh, where was Utah, it? Utah, Houston? Utah. They've just it just feels like they've been very disciplined to the game plan defensively since then. And and that's something they kind of got away from for a while. They weren't super focused, they weren't locked in. But like even the the Philly game, like Joel Embiid killed them, mutilated them. Was incredible. But he only killed them from one spot on the floor, which they seemed like they were going to live with that. They made him take super tough shots. They didn't foul him. I mean, he still had like 11 free throw attempts or something, but that's because he's Joel. Yeah. Um, And then they took away everyone else. And so that was a game plan. That's what they did. They didn't have enough offense to win it. The PJ Tucker hit three big shots when they changed that, changed it up and went to a double, but they've just been, feels like much more locked in defensively. It's just been a very sharp couple weeks defensively for these guys, no matter who's been playing too. It's 
it's been pretty impressive. Uh, like tonight, they they plug in Muscala, he guards Scotty Barnes. They plug in Hauser. I thought he shot like shit, but he's he did a lot of other stuff. Um, I don't really get, and maybe this is just the Celtics defense. Why are the Raptors not good? That like you that hustle play by Sam Hauser was awesome. Right? It was an amazing well, we hustle play by amazing. Sam. One of the best hustle plays we've seen recently at that in the non Blake Griffin. He, he dove and then was able to like retrieve it after losing it too. Yeah, like was, a, like a good like wrestle a, on the it was ground. Like an incredible first hustle and then the second hustle on top of it. But explain to me why the Raptors have the record that they do because like you see their starting lineup and it's like those are all five solid NBA starters. Did you see their bench? Uh, you you don't believe in Precious Achua and Will Barton? Gary Trent Jr. is a solid bench player. They should be good. This is like not that drastically a team that uh, the Celtics played in the Eastern Conference well, Finals in, in the bubble. Well, they didn't have Jakob Pertle for a while. And well, now they did, and he was uh, plus 10, and Nick Nurse just didn't play him down the stretch, which was an interesting choice. That was an interesting choice. Um, the I would say... They had four good players to start the season. They were starting Juancho Hernan Gomez some of the time. They had no center to rely on whatsoever. And so getting Pirtle. Okay, but why do they suck if you, now, if you look at If you Jay. look at the numbers, Pirtle like totally transforms them. When he's on the court, they're very, very good. When he's not, they're very, very bad. Um, so do you so, say Nick so, Nurse has completely checked out? or is No, uh, I, I think their supporting cast just sucks. Like, they just don't have enough good players. Christian Coloco, not good. Gary Trent Jr. is fine. Like, Chris Boucher is not good. Precious Achua is not good. Nobody else is good besides besides their four, five guys, and one of those wasn't on the team until less than a month ago. They've also had bad luck in close games. They've also had just an awful shooting year. Even some of their guys who are, like, their better shooters – or usually at least like okay shooters have just had bad shooting years. And I think part of that is because the supporting cast sucks and teams are just taking advantage of them. Um, so that would be my my reason for them. But I also think like with Pirtle, that is a team that they wouldn't beat the Celtics in the first round, but they could at least make the Celtics work in the first round. I think he, they're actually okay. Well, they're not a terrible team. That's what that I saw their starting lineup, and I was like, "Man, I feel like they should have a good chance of winning tonight." But they shot; they really just couldn't make a three. They shot eighteen percent, six of thirty-three. Fred VanVleet one for twelve from three, two of fourteen from the field. I think I saw something from Eric Kareen also from the Athletic that he might have had a, a hurt thumb or something about something to shooting, but they really could not buy a bucket from deep. And I thought the Celtics did a pretty good job of like they were welcoming. A lot of those guys to to take threes and like they just had a pretty solid defensive effort. It wasn't like the the Raptors were getting that many easy buckets. I do think you're sleeping on Thad Young though. That guy's that guy's a legend. Yes, he's had a very good career, and uh, father time, father time. He'll you're saying you're saying Thad Young you. washed? Question mark. He'll catch up to you. That's that's all I'm saying. So. So I don't think the but, Celtics but, have a chance but, of playing the Raptors at this point. They definitely have a chance of playing the Raptors. Um, the Raptors would need to catch the Hawks and then beat the Heat in the first playing game. But right now it's looking like the most likely scenario is that it'll be Miami versus Atlanta in the playing game, the first playing game, and the winner plays Boston. And from that Duo, I think it's pretty clear the Celtics should want to play Atlanta because I don't think Atlanta would have any prayer of stopping the Celtics. I think that would probably be a redux of Brooklyn first round series last year, except they don't have Kevin Durant. And, and the games wouldn't be close. Like that was four close games against the Brooklyn last year. I, I think that the Hawks could maybe stay close. I don't think it would be like. Every game is a blowout. It's a playoff. They're also due for like one Trey Young, definitely not scared of the moment, 45-point performance. Like he's just capable of doing that. But I agree uh, the Celtics would probably much rather play the Hawks than the Heat. Yeah, or the Raptors. I think I think it's 
Heat is the most dangerous opponent. Raptors, second most dangerous. And Hawks is like they should be praying for Atlanta <laughs> to, to get the seventh seed. But please don't get the seventh seed, Atlanta, because the beat writers do not. You don't like we'd rather visit go anywhere Miami. but Miami. <laughs> the beat writers need Miami. I actually I don't know exactly what the playoff ramifications of the Raptors' loss was, but I believe they can still finish in uh, seventh place. But it's it's a much lower probability now after they lost and the Hawks won. I think the Hawks are now. I don't know if the NBA app has updated their standings. But yeah, no, they're one game up, I believe. With, even after the Hawks won tonight and the Raptors lost. Correct, they were tied. Okay, so now they're one but game back with two who, games to play. I don't know who play. has a tiebreaker there. I should know that. Well, it's got me. Before you, before you uh, book your travel, I just want to give circle back to the 76ers game because with the Celtics locked in at the two seed, that means the 76ers are locked in at the three. And if that is a... Uh, likely second round matchup. I guess if the 76ers lost the rest of their games, the Cavs may be able to catch them. But just assuming the 76ers are three seed, that's the likely second round. The takeaway, at least I feel like I saw on Celtics Twitter, is something I also just kind of felt the same is like the, the Celtics went in and played a very close game against the Philadelphia 76ers without Jalen Brown, without Rob Williams, and Bede had to score. 52 points. I mean, albeit James Harden did not play in that game. Um, <laughs> You're sick. You're I sick. didn't. Was he? Was he out there? I didn't. He, I didn't he, notice him. Yeah, he made a bunch of threes. Um, oh, go a bunch as much. But I will say the way that they defended Harden, they t- turned him into a kind of a scorer, and uh, like they were playing him to score, and it's just. You He's don't. You're not, not used to seeing James Harden played like that, and they're they're capable enough defensively. They seem very willing to let James Harden like attack and get at the rim, and like so much of their focus was is like containing Embiid. Yes, they let Embiid shoot as much as he wanted at the foul line, but like I think that's just the strategy of giving like that shot up, and you're probably not going to have Grant Williams be on him as much as, as they were. Not have Luke Cornette have to play any minutes in the playoffs and against you'll, Joel And you'll have Robert Williams lurking somewhere trying to make life difficult. So I think despite the loss and despite Embiid going off, it's like for the for the Sixers to kind of beat the Celtics in a series, it feels like they need to have at least four of those games from Joel Embiid. And the Celtics were still in that game Maybe there's a concern about their like their late game execution. I just don't think their offense was great in like the final two minutes. But again, they didn't have Jalen Brown and they didn't have. I thought um, they Rob actually Williams. got some decent looks for Al Horford too. He just missed them. Yeah, there were they had some like I guess some sloppy turnovers and some not great possessions. But I didn't think it was like oh my god catastrophic. I think there's like if you're just focusing on process there again, you mentioned just like them being super locked in on defense. It wasn't like the best shooting performance from Tatum, and I just think. In moments like that, having Jalen Brown, especially against a Sixers team that just doesn't have as many perimeter defenders. And so, like, if James Harden and Tyrese Maxey are going to be on the court against uh, Jalen and Jason, there's going to be at least some one-on-one matchups I think you can take advantage of. Uh, Joel Embiid certainly, uh, like, makes his presence felt uh, in the paint. But, again, if you can go five out with Al Horford surrounded by four shooters – it's like a, a pretty good way to neutralize Embiid, uh, an easy way to get Al Horford some good looks. So it's just like, as a Celtics fan, despite the the loss to the 76ers, it, it felt like process-wise, the Celtics are still in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah, I agree. that That's a matchup that's good for them. And, and for Philadelphia in that series, Embiid would have to be awesome. They would need to make some threes around him to kind of loosen up the coverage on Embiid. Because I don't think the Celtics will be like as willing to let him kill them in a playoff series. And I think when Robert Williams is on the court too, if Al Horford's guarding Embiid, like there's just a layer of help that Embiid did not feel. Yeah, you can in, just play a little game. bit up and not let him get as easy looks from the foul line if yeah. you have Robert Williams lurking in the back. Yeah, and so... And it's like it's it's going to be Embiid would have to be amazing, I think, to for them to win that series. He'd have to do it consistently. He'd have to do it he'd, for every game in the series, and he'd much. have to be 
he'd have to do that and still have the conditioning to play defense and do it in the fourth quarter and take them home like he did. Like in that game, he did it. Um, he just ruined them. But you could see like as soon as he stepped off the court, the Celtics went on huge runs both times. I think that would probably be pretty consistent in a playoff series setting. Um, and then like the supporting cast for Boston is just, they have more guys who can create more guys who can beat, beat a set defense. Um, I mean, you talk about Toronto's and, depth and issues. more shooting like the Sixers. I just don't know who they have coming off the bench that you can rely upon to be a, a playoff rotation player. Melton. George's name, Melton Melton. Yeah. He's like can play some defense, but like they, you, you generally need more than six guys. Melton's good. Melton's good. Uh, but yeah, like could they could they trust Niang in a playoff series defensively? I don't know. But, but playoffs, every playoff series is different. Like who knows? Like shit can happen in a playoff series. It's just so unforeseen. Like Derek White could just lose confidence in his three ball, and then all of a sudden it's like you got Niang guarding Derek White. You know, like shit like that could just happen. And I'm not saying it will happen. I think obviously Derek White's three pointer is much improved. And but that even he's comes back super to confident with that. But that comes back to Brogdon because like last year, Derek White not having confidence in his three was like, all right, I guess what's the backup solution there? Like who who what who, what other what's the small lineup we're going to roll with? But it's like Say in the off chance that that does happen, it's like, all right, we can immediately just slide in Malcolm Brogdon. I know the numbers have not been as good, but like there's a guy you can rely upon to just like create some offense and knock down threes. And so there's just so much more depth there for the Celtics this season. The uh, It felt like that game meant a lot to Joel Embiid, even though it was totally meaningless for the standings. Um, like both teams pretty much knew where they were going to be entering the night. It just felt like he wanted to beat Boston and show his team that they could beat Boston. And so it was fun. Like that was, that was, I showed up to that game and I was like, this could kind of suck. Like neither team has anything to really play for. Uh, it's too bad that they scheduled it on a day that both teams kind of knew where they were. And then it was like, oh no, these teams are fucking digging in. They're competing like hell. Embiid is just relentless. He was. I mean, the shots he hit. Just to shoot 20 of 25 from the field is fucking insane. Even if you're wide open, like the the mid-rangers he was shooting, 20 of 25 is extremely good. Never mind with Al Horford and Grant Williams guarding you a bunch of the time. Um, Luke Cornett some of the time, Blake Griffin some of the time. But it's like, it was it was just an unbelievable performance from him. It was, And then to to do all that, and then still have the patience to find P.J. Tucker in the corner three straight times. Like, to be that hot and be like, I'm going to still make the right play when they come and double me. That was... <laughs> I, I kind of felt like the Celtics sent him the most simple double They Really? Play. It was a real casual, loose... It, it felt like one of those, like, we're going to send a double, but we're also not going to show them the doubles that we're going to use in a playoff series. Like, they just doubled... Off the strong side corner, the first two times it was a strong side. The last time I think it was a weak side, but it was like it was the easiest read. It was just he could see someone coming at him to double, and he just found PJ Tucker wide open in the corner. It's also like the to give Doc Rivers credit. Not something I normally am doing on this program or on the airwaves. They did make it like an adjustment where PJ Tucker was the guy kind of in the dunker spot, and it was easier to double off him. They switched him to being in the uh, corner. I did see an article today that that idea for that adjustment came from James Harden, not Doc Rivers. So maybe discredit Doc from the credit I gave him earlier. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I think uh, Bazooka Joe has uh, something up his sleeve for possibly uh, maybe just not making that one pass away to a wide open PJ Tucker in the corner, yeah. or they just might leave that like let that happen because what was that PJ Tucker's season high for points this season? Yeah, but he, I feel like he's he's a capable three point shooter. He's not someone you just want to leave. You have to be creative. You can't. Yeah, you can't just like let him be Grant Williams game seven against the Bucks wide open. Yeah, yeah, you you can't do that. He he's gonna make you pay for that one. Um, 
But yeah, that, that that was a fun game, man. Is Joel Embiid the MVP? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what? It's funny. I still think it's Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> but Embiid is definitely going to win. You were in the building for one of his most dominant performances, and you were just going gushing about how impressive it was. You're just like, no. Embiid is definitely going to win. Like, I would say close to 100% going to win after that game. But it's a full season award. It's not like who played the best against the Celtics one night. (laughs) But, yeah. In that case, Karis LeVert would have multiple MVPs. (laughs) (laughs) Donovan Mitchell would be up there. Ish Smith Smith would have a couple of them things, too. Uh, Julius Randle. Um, okay, but well, what about another award? Do you think Malcolm Brogdon is like for sure the sixth man of the year? Quickly has had a, a run. I think Brogdon should be. I think he's had the efficiency. Um, he's done it in a role for a the a team that's better than New York. Um, and he's kind of had to fit in. I, ju- I just think he won't get it because quickly is posting very good stats while while starting some games for New York. Yeah, that's the thing. Brogdon, ref- they just refuse to start They refuse Brogdon. to start Malcolm Brogdon. It, it's one of my favorite <laughs> subplots of the season. Like, every single person on the roster has started. They've started Peyton Pritchard. They've started Mike Muscala. They've started Sam Hauser. They've started... Blake. Blake, Luke Cornette. They started fucking Noah Vonley. And they <laughs> will not start that. Malcolm Brogdon. I think it was part of the deal. But uh, Brogdon said after the game that the like front office was very upfront to him about him coming off the bench. And I said, I think it's a corrupt bargain. I think they said, we're going to get you that six man of the year award. And we're going to make sure you start zero games. So your resume for six man of the year is flawless. Because it's the only explanation for not sliding him in in a number of times, a number of occasions. It's... I mean, just incredible, just truly incredible how they won't start the guy no matter what. Do you think he demanded, like, I want my role to be defined and I want to, like, know what I'm doing and come off the bench every time? Or I think it's a pure awards play, and I'm for it. I predicted Malcolm Brogdon sixth man of the year before the season started. No, if it was pure awards, they would play more than 24 minutes a game. Like, this is one of the rare times he's played. Then explain why he doesn't start, Jay. It's not even doesn't start. He just never starts. Everyone else on that fucking team has started and he, they won't, they will not start Malcolm Brogdon. What a subplot. What a a subplot. Like just so random. Even, even Missoula just brought it up in his post game presser. He was talking about how many different starting lineup combinations they've had. And he listed like almost every player on the team that has started. And then he's like, yeah, I don't think Malcolm started, <laughs> which is true. He hasn't, and he never will. But they're they're going to pull it as like a, a wild card in the playoffs and just start Malcolm and in, in deep in some series, <laughs> like, like Gerald Green game three. <laughs> Not like Gerald Green. That was the most. Oh man, I'll never forget the the shock when they started Gerald Green. You want to get into some uh, some what you call it? Some junk. junk? Oh, yeah. A little junk. Um, speaking of preseason predictions, I did predict Malcolm Brogdon would be sixth man of the year. I went back and looked at the Rain and Jays spreadsheet. Um, you predicted the Celtics would win 63 games this year. Do you feel uh, like a big idiot that you are? No. <laughs> what are they going to finish with? 57, 58? Not not even close to that. What are they now? They have a fifty-five win, so maybe fifty-seven. Well, what do you think they're? Yeah. Well, let's, let's before we get to the junk. What do you think they do over these last two games? Considering there's just nothing they can do in the standings, and it's all about health, and, but it's also about getting Robert Williams some time. Like where, where I, have, I would guess they sit everybody one game and play them another game. Any insight into which game? No, I that is that is just an. Not even educated guess. That is a total guess. Um, he, that, no Ivy League degree. Joe Mazzulla, his whatever he says when you ask him about what his plans are, he's like, "I like to win." Like, awesome man, but like, you're also sitting guys. <laughs> we know you like to win. Um, yeah, I mean, and they deliberately went into this back to back. It feels like the plan was like, "All right, 
Jalen, Jason, let's split you guys. You'll rest one of them. Rob and Al will split you guys. You'll rest one of them. So, like, as much as they love winning, and to give them credit, they were competitive in both games despite guys being out. It feels like there's a clear plan of resting uh, important people down the stretch. But Joe likes to win. He, yeah, he's, he's noted that. Uh, mm-hmm. He noted that tonight multiple times. He's, he's a big winning fan. He's a man who likes winning. You know what he also likes? Jiu-jitsu. Uh, and tonight, Chris Boucher gave him a little bump after a timeout. And you don't bump Bazooka Joe. You don't b- bump Jiu-Jitsu Joe. Joe had some words for Chris Boucher. and He, he was ready, he was <laughs> ready, ready to, to go. go. He was ready to go. He, he really was. He looked ready to go. And then uh looked like he had some words for the officials. Telling the official he got bumped. Robert Williams was kind of the hold me back guy, which was, which was fun. Um, but yeah, he he did not take kindly to that. I I was thinking, where would he rank in coaches? Like, if if every coach had a Royal Rumble, where would Joe rank? Hmm. I'm trying to think. Like, no one immediately pops out as like the dominant coach. Jason Kidd would be pretty dominant. He is huge. Is he and big? He's, he's like 6'5", 230. 6'4", I didn't 230. I he's that tall. Yeah, he's, okay. a, he's a big dude. Jason Kidd, former professional athlete. I give him some some juice there. Going around the league, like, Kerr's too old. A lot of the, a lot of the coaches are very old. I feel like they would be out quick. Tibbs, I feel like I wouldn't mess with Tibbs. <laughs> Tibbs, Tibbs, Tibbs would absolutely survive. He would just be a survivor. I feel like everyone would kind of stay away from Pop for a while out of respect. But he get he get tossed once it, once it, yeah he'd eventually get. Chopped. I don't even think he'd participate. I think he'd be like, "This is beneath me." Um, Missoula would be up there because he he's just. I don't know how many of of you listeners watched him when he was at West Virginia. That was a tough, tough motherfucker, scrappy dude. Like he was a point guard, starting point guard on a Final Four team because he was tough as hell. Um. And he knows jujitsu, which <laughs> would probably help. Well, did he that learn the jujitsu? I would assume after West Virginia. Uh, how long has he been? I don't know how long he's been uh, jujitsu. Well, I feel like he's. Uh, d- uh, and shout out to Adams Himmelbach, Himmelsbach for saying the same thing. But he does the he's mental jujitsu during the post game press conferences and the physical jujitsu. Very ready to go with Chris Boucher. You asked him about it, and he. Just slapped you away with some mental jujitsu. It was just be like, no, I was just merely querying about why I was bumped. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I just wasn't sure why I got bumped. Like he knew, he knew, no. he knew. You were ready to throw hands, sir. But well, I thought he, he answered that then, question. Then what he say? He said, uh, "I've got to have better awareness of my surroundings." Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was aware. He was fully aware of exactly what happened, and he was ready to go. Who? Who else? What other coaches? Pull up the NBA standings for me. I need to. Look at a list of coaches. Not Bud, not Doc, J.B. Bickerstaff, Jock Vaughn, Eric Spolstra. I bet Spolstra would be tough I as I bet nails. he'd have a great game plan. He'd have a lot of good scouting. Um, Quinn J.B. Bickerstaff, I, I, would give, I would give him some credit. Billy Donovan, I bet, I bet Billy, Billy Donovan's no. a scrapper. I bet no. he's a scrapper. I don't even know who the coach of the Orlando Magic is. Rick Carlisle, at one point, he would have been good. No more. Jamal Mosley. Steve Clifford? Yeah. Steve Clifford. Any belief in Steve Clifford? Whoever tossed him out of the ring would be just just a mean person. (laughs) Mike Mike Malone's probably – Taylor Jenkins would scrap. Taylor Jenkins would scrap. Taylor Jenkins would scrap. He'd have that grizzly personality. Mike Brown. Would would Taylor Jenkins bring a weapon, though? We know how that culture down there in Memphis. That's that's not a good joke. (laughs) I laughed. Not a good uh, Mike Brown. Monty Williams is just absolutely not fighting. Steve Kerr. Ty Lue. Ty Lue was a professional athlete. Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham would murder everyone. Darvin Ham. You're saying he's the winner? Definitive winner? Yes. Yes. Not even close. Darvin Ham is a human muscle. Like, he's just one <laughs> muscle. That that dude was... Oh, man. I, I can't believe I forgot about Darvin Ham. Because that's that's as clear as day. Will Hardy? Will Hardy. He's a he's, tall guy. He's former he took he took down the kid himself in a college basketball game. Not a Oh, a D three Williams versus Skidmore? Oh yeah. I mean Williams is a perennial D three powerhouse. Yeah. 
and Skidmore was not at that time. Despite because it's like because you were unlike Joe Missoula, you were not starting point guard on a Final Four team because you weren't tough enough. I was tough enough. Uh, turns out having zero skill <laughs> and zero quickness doesn't really help. I, I could shoot. I, I'd say zero skill, but that 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 was misleading. Jaylen, no, no no ball handling ability. Yeah, it makes things tough. Um, Jalen Brown won the Red Arbach Award tonight for what it means to just embody a Celtic. And I don't want to be a cynic, but my conspiracy flag went up there. Seemed like a, I don't know, maybe Jalen's been, there's some stuff in the news recently about maybe how Jalen doesn't want to be in Boston. We give him this award where the criteria is a little bit uh, unsure of like what it takes to win. I don't know. I'm just saying I was, I was suspect. I thought it was a suspect. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but just given the time and everything, I thought it was curious. Who would you have given it to? Marcus Smart, every time. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes the nine-time Red Arbag Award winner, Marcus Smart. They call him the heart and soul of the team for a reason. It's like, oh, my God, it's Marcus Smart every single time. All right. Uh, there were some rumors. I don't know if you heard rumors that uh, uh, Lamar was going to be in the building. <laughs> I did hear that rumor. There were, yes, it was. It, and we did get a very talented quarterback in the crowd tonight, the Zapster, who I, I actually, too. I had no idea what the Zapster looked like until I saw him on the Jumbotron tonight. I'm glad they put up the lower third to identify the Zapster. I just thought he was a bro, but. No, he, he looks like he should have been a backup player in Hoosiers. He looks like no. He looks like Friday Night Lights quarterback, like quarterback for the rival team. Like he is very much Texas football like quarterback, or Indiana football back, Indiana basketball backup guard. I can see it, but yeah, no Lamar Jackson here tonight. Just Billy Zappi, which is a sad sign for Patriots. <laughs> Somewhat of a letdown. Somewhat of a letdown. Although flavor, Flav. That, that was my next thing. Flav. Apparently, he was just coming off a giving a lecture at Harvard. Um, and thought he would ca- you know, catch a Celtics game. Not sure what uh, Flavor Flav was lecturing about. No, no, he's just a big Mike Muscala guy. <laughs> no, he is. <laughs> is that why Muscala uh, is rocking an earring? Is this an ode to Flavor Flav? I didn't know Muscala was an earring man. Saw that in the post-game interview tonight. Also, Jay King, did you have like a one-on-one with Mike Muscala? Because Joe Mazzula talked tonight, and then normally it's like a chance to go to the locker room, and then everyone else like – Low, low media members like me who can't go to the locker room wait for the rest of the guys to come to the podium. Everyone else waited for, I guess, Malcolm Brogdon, but Jay King said, no, I need that Muscala one-on-one. Oh, no, I went to talk to Robert Williams about holding Joe Mazzula back, <laughs> but he wasn't there. Oh. He'd already left by the time they opened the locker room. That's journalism, folks. That's why Jay gets paid the big bucks. That was chasing down I, that story. I wasn't writing tonight, but I just figured that'd be fun little, to talk about. A little notebook action. Um... <laughs> while, we're on, while we're on the topic of uh, fun locker room stories, um, after the Philly game, I walked in there, and I don't know if any of you listeners saw the quotes from Grant Williams about the referees. Oh, yeah. Great quotes. So I walked in the locker room, and he was just coming out of the shower and just, like, stopped to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> What he had said to the ref and what and what the other guys had said you to the ref. You didn't ask him a question at all. I didn't ask him a question. He he came up to me and said exactly what what was said, what he said, and then to get attack, and then what PJ Tucker and Joel Embiid said that didn't the exact get same use of uh, and, foul language. And I was like, "Do you want me to share that?" And he said, "Yes." I was wondering why that was an exclusive quote from from Jay King at the Athletic, but he, he was—I mean, he must have been fuming to just literally—he just came out of the shower, and the first thing he did was like walk right up to me and tell me exactly where. Hey, you reporter! <laughs> I got a—I got a scoop for you. <laughs> I really was. I was like, "Do you want me to share that?" He's like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." That's I will. And I saw it all over like Instagram, like quote cards. I, like it was a moment for the kid. Um, talk about your reporting skills. You had a great tweet today saying that Jason Tatum was there eating popcorn. I thought that was good reporting. He was on the end of the bench eating popcorn in the first half. 
I'm not sure whether he's no, he did stay for the second half because I saw him in the locker room afterward. Um, but I don't think he was on the bench for it. Uh, did you know what he consumed in the second half? I wasn't sure whether he stopped at just one box of popcorn. He might have gone for a second box of popcorn in the first half. Um, but either way, a well-deserved night off for Jason Tatum after, as you love me to say, he's played a lot of minutes. This he's season. played a lot of minutes. The only guy who's played more, Pascal Siakam, who only played 35 tonight. He's pretty good. I really hate uh, just his game in general, but I got to admit it. He's Why good. do you hate his game? Just because he's on the Raptors and he's good and I hate Just because the he had one horrible series against the Celtics. Yeah. I, I will, will say. I will forever disrespect him for that will, and his terrible spin move. I will say, like, no matter how many times I've seen him kick ass since then, I'll always remember that series. Because that was, like, probably the worst series an All-NBA player has ever played. It was not good. He couldn't do anything. I also just want to highlight OG and Anobis tonight because a couple of weeks ago on the Trill Withers show, uh, they asked me if like I would trade three first round picks for OG and Anobi, and I didn't think that was uh, a reasonable deal for the Celtics. And they everyone just clowned me for just not giving OG enough credit. And apparently, I'm just like the lowest person on OG in the in the media. I just don't think he's that much of a star player but i don't know what are your thoughts on og and an ob i don't think he's that much of a like he's very good but i don't think he's like a difference maker i don't think he's a multiple first round pick guy he's a very good defender with a lot of size for a wing um not a great rebounder so can he play the four that was my biggest thing is like you can't play like he's He's not a guy who can play the four, and he's not someone who can like like Grant because the, it was the discussion in context of Grant Williams. Obviously, I think OG is better than Grant Williams, but Grant Williams has a lot of value in being able to guard fives, and I just don't think OG, despite his size, despite him being, I think, the basically the same exact height as Siakam, Siakam can definitely play the five uh, if needed. I just don't think OG can do that, and so I think I was completely justified uh, in saying that I would not do that trade. And also, a lot of teams wanted OG and Anobi. And nobody traded for him. So the price must have been pretty high. That's fair. Do you think Scotty Barnes will ever grow up and just go by Scott? Um, I hope not. See, I, I played this kid named Scotty Barnes in Little League. <laughs> Do you, does and he go he, by Scott now? He was fucking amazing. Maybe it's in the name. He ended up being a, an MLB draft pick. It, well, but I was I was like a I was like a pretty good little league player, and Scotty Barnes used just whip my ass. Yeah, well, he had a smooth fucking swing. If he would have made it to the show, if his name was Scott Barnes, Scott Barnes is the name of a middle reliever. Like that that guy. I think he did make it to the show. Well, well research him. Google Google Scott Scotty Barnes for me. Scotty oh, Barnes, baseball. Scotty Barnes baseball. But all I'm saying is Scott's more of an adult's name. You know what? Scott Pippen checks back into the game uh, and doesn't make a, isn't a petulant child uh, for the Bulls. <laughs> but Scott Pippen <laughs> is like an accountant for the Bulls. There's no way Scott Pippen wins fucking titles. Scott Barnes wouldn't either. Scotty IE or Scotty Y for your Scotty Barnes? IE. Scotty Barnes baseball. Yeah, this kid was a Western Mass legend. Oh, he played uh, for the Cleveland Indians. He's 35 years old, so that um, matches up with your timeline. Uh, how many years uh, was he in the show? Go to his uh, baseball reference page. He was in the show for 2012 to 2013. Seems like a year. His MLE debut, May 30th, 2012. Last MLB appearance, May 30th. 31st, 2013. He was a pitcher in the show, right? 0-1, 520 ERA with 26 strikeouts, born in Springfield. Yeah, man had a sweet swing. He's a lefty. He had a sweet lefty swing. Oh, Why man. do lefty – do you ever, you ever figure out that? Why do lefty swings look cooler than righty swings? doesn't make That's any sense to me. That's a good question. It was, it was Scotty Barnes and Andrew Wakely. Andrew Wakely used to whip my ass, too. One, one game I threw a no-hitter and gave up – to everyone else on his team – and gave up seven runs because he had three at bats and they were all fucking homers. You can't, you can't call that a no hitter. 
to the rest of his team. Nobody, That's just else, not nobody else had a hit. <laughs> That's, but still, he, the phrase no hitter should not enter the lexicon at all describing your performance that night. My family will still bring that up sometimes because every home what? run was like just more mammoth than the last. And I, <laughs> I was like 11 years old, 12 years old, and I threw hard, but I didn't really have any breaking stuff. And he was so dominant, I tried to throw like my first curveball ever. And he like, took I just, that yard? Just, yeah. He fucking hit it like 500 feet. Oh, man. Fucking Andrew Wakely. If you're out there, know you're a legend in my eyes. Yeah, you ruined Jay's no-hitter with your three home runs. A lot of home runs. <laughs> and I walked a lot of guys to put that Wild that you would ever describe that as a no-hitter. That's just decidedly. To, I, nobody else on the rest of the team had a hit. You gave up three hits, Jay. At least three. It's not but, a no-hitter. But I'm saying it was a no-hitter except for him. It's a perfect game except for the walks. Like, what are you talking about? That's just not how a, what a no-hitter means. Yeah, because he had three hits. Exactly. But everyone else, no hits. You don't get to separate. <laughs> That's absolutely absurd. Um, I, I, I got loose. Oh, I just got a loose junk here. I don't even know if it's worthy. I feel like I have to edit the junk. Uh, I have in my notes, how does Jay King feel about Cracker Jack? Why? They have Cracker Jack in the media dining at halftime. And for some reason, I thought Jay King probably has some outrageous thoughts about Cracker Jack. Jay King doesn't give a fuck about Cracker Jack. Well, there's a snack prize inside. What's your favorite ballpark snack? Uh, see, I don't get a snack when I go to the ballpark. Just get a fucking Frank. I, what's Family is a Frank. snack? Like, that's not a snack. That's, that's lunch meal? and dinner, yeah. How many How many you eating? I actually went to the Red Sox game Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, and uh, we ordered pizza. That's weird. Yeah, my buddy had he got tickets from his work, and he had access to like some special. Oh, like the sweets. Yeah, we had to pay for the pizza, but it was it was a pizza option, and it kind of stunk. Yeah, I mean, ballpark pizza is never going to be good. Uh, I have this joke that I tweeted out, but I thought it was good. Um, another white floater. What is this? Season two of The Wire. We're just gonna let that one sit there. I thought I'd get something out of you guys. We're just gonna let, let that season two. If you had referenced any other season, they don't. Have, I might have no, given you some. There's respect. no. That doesn't make sense with the joke, Jay. There was no white floating bodies in seasons one, three, or four, or five. The whole premise is that it's direct reference to the floating bodies from oh, Ziggy. Ziggy. Ziggy was obnoxious. I hated Ziggy and his duck. Um. The only other thing I have is a tic-tac-toe continues to be an embarrassment. You don't Why? notice this. Because when the people are playing the tic-tac-toe out there, they just don't Where understand. Where do they play tic-tac-toe? You don't notice this? There's a mid-game like thing where you make a layup and then you get to run and play tic like place your thing on the tic-tac-toe. And every single time, people completely forget the rules of tic-tac-toe. Tonight, the lady had an opportunity to block her opponent and get two in a row setting up a three and just completely put the place, uh, the X in the wrong spot and just lost. It's because these idiots don't know how to play tic-tac-toe. My theory is that if you lose in tic-tac-toe, you are a moron. Every tic-tac-toe game should end in a draw. If if there are two reasonably IQ'd people, every tic-tac-toe game will end in a draw. Jay and I are playing tic-tac-toe now <laughs> just because this would be amazing. This is outrageous. Oh, where am I going to go now, Jay? Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it's going to end in a draw. <laughs> yeah, no shit it is. <laughs> you got to be a fucking moron not to end in a draw. Yeah, losing tic-tac-toe is uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a fucking moron. Absolutely unforgivable. It, it, really, uh, like, it really takes. Yeah, uh, to confirm, we ended in a draw <laughs> because it's absolutely insane to lose in Tic Tac Toe. As I said. So imagine doing it in front of whatever, 19,000 people and just completely forgetting the rules of it just because you had to hit a layup beforehand. I, I've never seen someone not lose in Tic Tac Toe when they do this game in, in Celtics games. Someone wins every single time. 
I guess there's probably some game pressure that that I've never had to deal with while playing tic-tac-toe. There was one one woman who was in like the the layup competition. She she looked like she could play. She brought out a hop step that was like real official. <laughs> she was hop stepping before every layup. She she brought out a, a like a a professional hop step. It was like you could tell she was a hooper right away. Would you support my petition to the Celtics that if someone loses in tic-tac-toe, they're banished from the stadium? They should never come back. They, I was just going to do a one-time ban, but I'm for, for a lifetime ban. You should never come back. You should be banished from the city of Boston. But how much – like if the stakes were raised and everyone in the stadium knew that the person who lost could was ejected from the game, that becomes the most – Probably more entertaining than the actual game. That would actually be awesome. If if you got banned from <laughs> TD Garden, if you lost, that would actually – I mean, that that's the type of Jumbotron activities they should be pushing for. Instead, we there's never a half-court game, like a, an in-game game, with a real loser. There are no stakes. You there, either yeah. you either win a prize or you walk away with nothing. We need punishments for the losers. At least public shaming. At least like announce their name so everyone can boo them for losing. But I I think they should be re- forcibly removed from the stadium because then like that becomes one of the more intense things you can do, and it just like raises the energy for. The entire crowd, I think it would be a good uh, booster just for in terms of bringing the intensity for the crowd. I think it's a, a brilliant idea. Yeah. All right, let's play tic-tac-toe one more time and then we'll be out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this is so fucking stupid. Last time I started in the corner. This time I'm going to start in the middle. It's going to change everything. Where am I going, though? Um. Uh, I feel like I'm going to lose this. You're going to lose. I already have you, bro. I, feel like I I'm just lose. have you. You got trapped, bro. I feel like I I'm won. I won already. You are a loser. You are an idiot. You just I've lost, lost. a tic-tac-toe. No, I'm, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose. No. no! <laughs> you are dumb. You should be banished from the city of Boston. You never go side. You have to go corner. Side is an automatic loser. You should feel bad about yourself. Nah, there's no shot clock. I'm just gonna, <laughs> there's no, I'm there's just no way to keep, figure it out. Keep my turn forever. <laughs> you go there. I go there. Then you either block me here and there, I win there or you block me there and I win here. I have already won. There's no shot clock. There's no figuring this out. You're not going to like dig yourself out of the hole you've just caused up by going side. <laughs> you talk all this shit. I knew I needed to play tic-tac-toe again because you just this, got this, this is an all-time anything is possible moment, honestly. <laughs> Finish the game, bro. No, Finish I won't. Finish the game. I won't. I won't. Wow. Sad. Poor sportsmanship, too. Banished from the city. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Jay King, the kid, the god, the legend, the idiot just lost in tic-tac-toe. Anything is potable, folks. Anything is absolutely potable. You are a big dummy. Fuck. (laughs) 